0: This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? We just heard Peggy recite that. and It's a somewhat surprising reaction of the crowd of the disciples gathered around. It's, the, it's a surprising reaction to his teachings. And we've spent the last several weeks taking apart this verse around the bread of life, this chapter. And I find this surprising because, apart from last week's, somewhat gruesome eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood, the lessons haven't, on the surface, appear to be particularly challenging. Believe in him, have faith, know that he is sent by God, know that he is the way to salvation. Like I said, on the surface, these teachings don't seem that difficult. But today's Old Testament reading from Joshua gives us an idea of how difficult these teachings truly are. Joshua, the leader of the Israelites who took over after Moses, is addressing us, the assembly of the 12 tribes gathered in their newly conquered homeland, and he's asking them to choose whom they serve. Do they serve God, Yahweh, or the gods of their ancestors, or of the Amorites whom they've just conquered? Now this would be a big deal because gods in the ancient Near East were tied to specific places and they were responsible for important things like security and prosperity. So choosing the Lord, choosing God who's not tied to a specific place, would mean walking away from this place-based notion of a protector and believing in something much broader but also much less tangible. And in the same way, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, is asking listeners to move away from a rules-based, a Torah-based system of belief, and move to something also much broader, a belief in him as the bread of life, as the path to salvation. Both readings are asking us to choose our God, which begs the question, how do we know who our gods are? Unlike the ancient gods with their statues and temples, our competing gods today are, I think, a little trickier to spot. For example, if money were your god, how would you know? If you spent most of your time thinking about the accumulation of it, or on the other hand, worrying about how little you had, would that start to look like a god? Or maybe our political beliefs at either end of the spectrum, could they become our god? if we found ourselves enraged at an opposing opinion, or so angry at the person saying it that we could spit, does that start to sound like a god? When you think about it this way, our entire existence is plagued with things and behaviors that can compete with our faith in God. Security, comfort, patriotism, consumerism, nostalgia for the past, even this church, all could, if taken to the extreme, compete with God. I'm not saying they do, but in the extreme, could they be a threat to our belief, to our faith in God? Now, you may know that in a couple of weeks we will be starting our confirmation or slash inquirers class, and I'm happy to report that we had over 25 people show up last week with interest in this, which is is a very large class, and it really speaks to the vibrancy of this place and the hunger for knowledge that is a part of St. Peter's. And one of the topics we'll address in this class is understanding what sin is. What do we believe sin is? And at the back of the Book of Common Prayer, in our outline of faith, otherwise known as the Catechism, sin is defined simply as seeking our own will instead of the will of God. Seeking our own will instead of the will of God. So if our thoughts and actions are focused on money, or energy and anger is concentrated on something as transitory as politics, or if we put country ahead of morality, or make security so important that we deny our neighbor's humanity, when we do these things, we should ask ourselves, are we seeking our own will instead of the will of God? Are we tricking ourselves even into sin, even if our intentions are good? I'm saying that we are here, like the Israelites thousands of years ago. We are here being asked to choose our God. And if we look at our lives and potential pitfalls and traps that our minds can take us, we start to understand that these teachings are indeed difficult, as mentioned in the Gospel of John. And who can accept it? In fact, it can quickly start to overwhelm us, make us wonder if there's a place in our lives where we aren't at risk of putting ourselves ahead of God. Today's reading in Ephesians, I think, gives us a little bit of hope. The writer calls for the listeners and us to, quote, "...put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." The whole armor of God. It's got a nice sound to it. I think of it as protective clothing, a spiritual hazmat suit of sorts, that lets us know that when we were being asked to choose our God... We know that God's pulling for us, literally surrounding us. God's waiting for us to do the right thing, the God thing. Now, I've never actually put on armor, but I imagine it takes some practice, learning how to move around with a few dozen extra pounds, that I'd be hard-pressed to just walk out today and move about freely with a coat of armor. It would take practice. I'd have to build some habits and some strength to make the armor actually effective in protecting me. In Ephesians, the writer is asking us to put on spiritual armor, the whole armor of God. I think that also takes time, takes new habits and behaviors, so that we can learn to freely move about in the world without falling into the traps of sin or the wiles of the devil. Over the course of the coming year, we'll be rolling out an educational curriculum called The Way of Love. This is an initiative from the National Church, and in presiding Bishop Michael Curry's mind, is the next phase of the Episcopal Church's Jesus movement. We have the good fortune of having our very own Jerusalem Greer work on the committee that created this initiative. And she's put together a very robust blend of books and articles and websites and podcasts and YouTube videos that will guide our learning. So for the next nine months or so, We're going to have coordinated teachings across all our groups. Across youth, teen, adult formation, small group formation. And it will be uniform in the following seven areas. Learn. Read the scripture and other writings that deepen our faith. Bless. Share our faith and unselfishly give and serve. Go. Cross boundaries. Listen deeply. Live like Jesus. Rest. Receive the grace of God's peace and restoration. Pray. Dwell intentionally with God daily. Turn. Move away from bad habits that put distance between God and us. And finally, worship. Gather as we are today in community to thank, praise, and dwell with God. Learn, bless, go, rest, pray, turn, worship. I don't expect you to remember all of these. And seven is a lot to begin with. But expect to see and hear more about them throughout the coming year. And I invite you to join us in any one of these formation classes that I mentioned. And what we're building overall is what's called a rule of life, R-U-L-E, of life. And this is borrowed from the monasteries of the Middle Ages and the monks. And it's a practice of living with God with intention and purpose in the present moment at all times. Think of it as a way of building up our spiritual strength and stamina so that we can move freely in the armor of God that Ephesians talks about. Learn, bless, go, rest, pray, turn, worship. Seven simple habits. Think of it as a kind of spiritual crossfit to give us the tools to fight the risk of sin, to let us see when we are starting to put our own will ahead of God's will. And if indeed it's like crossfit Maybe you'll find yourself telling anyone who'll listen about it. And if you've ever known anyone who does CrossFit, you'll know what I'm talking about. Like vegans and CrossFit. You'll hear about it. And I can't say at the end of these classes we'll be able to avoid sin. Or that we'll still not be asked to choose whom we serve on a daily or even hourly basis. But that we will have better skills, better tools, to make sure we're not taking the easy way out of letting the false gods of comfort and security or fear and anger take us away from serving our God, Yahweh, the Lord. These are practices, not a panacea, but it's a start. They're ways to make the difficult teachings of Jesus that we heard about in the gospel, the difficult teachings that the disciples worry about, the teachings that cause them to abandon his mission, these practices, these are practices to help us stay with Jesus, with God. So we can be like Peter and the apostles and say, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. When Jesus asked if we're leaving too. So we can be like Joshua and be able to say with confidence, as for me and my household, however we define household, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen.